Let's welcome our online family, could we? God bless you guys. So glad you're with us. Peace to your house. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, we're in our 10th week. That's a long time, y'all. We're in our 10th week on uh, Romans. We're calling it Win in Romans. And uh, we are truly, and, and I've told you this over the weeks, and I'm not the only one with this opinion. There are theologians and scholars and, and uh, Bible-loving people, God-loving people all over that believe that Romans is the highest of the treetops of, of all the books of the Bible. And we're in Romans chapter 8. Some writers call Romans 8 the great 8 and uh, truly the highest of the high. And today in Romans 8, we are in the sweetest spots, I think, of, of all of Scripture. And it's just we're going to have a good time. We are at the pinnacle here. And so we want to make sure that, that we get this today. And the Apostle Paul is going to use this. And I want to get this in front of your eyes. He's going to use a literary uh, tool called questions. Questions. Everybody say questions. And um, sometimes I hate questions. How many of you remember in school and it's like, oh, please don't call on me. Please don't call on me. Please. Especially in math class. And I'll have people I'm wandering around, you know, talking to you all. And, and um, I like y'all, by the way. And um, I'll be talking and somebody say, Pastor, I, I've got a question. And I say this back jokingly, but also seriously. And I'll say, it's not math, is it? You know, because it's what? Reading. All right, good, good. Thank you. Uh, but Paul is using this literary device of questions, and it is for this purpose. Ready? It is to get us to think. Come on, everybody say think. And he's asking these questions to get us to think and what it's about to do. You ready? What we're going to look at today, these questions in the end of Romans chapter 8, and it's going to sound violent, are going to kind of beat out of us. They're going to kind of squeeze and push out of us fear and worry and unbelief and disbelief of this, that God could actually be so gracious, that God could actually be so good, that God could actually be so loving. When we think right about these questions that we're about to go through, it's going to bring a security to you spiritually that will just absolutely overflow into the other areas of your life. Because we still feel so unworthy we still feel like there's no way God could love me that much, be that good to me. Really, really, really? And Paul uses these questions to get you to just think. And as we go through this, I think this is going to really, really help us today. You interested? Yes. All right. Let's go ahead and, and, and let me remind you of this. The gifts of God, the things that God gives us will get you through anything. All right. All right. Let's close in prayer. The gifts of God, the things that God will give to you, will get you through anything. Anything, anything about your past, anything in your present, anything in your upcoming future, and will get you into your eternal future. You and I are not designed and we're not expected to work out everything on our own. And that's our tendency. So I, I've got it. I've got, you know, I do that. I do that. All right. I got to figure this out. Got to figure, I'll, I'll do, so, I'll come up with something. And we're just not designed. We can't do it. Guess what? We start coming unraveled. If we had gauges on us, we'd see that we're overheating, you know, and running out of fuel and everything else. You're not designed for that. God's got you. 
and he will help you. And what he brings to us, thank God that he does, will get us through everything. Our salvation is so far-reaching. It is not just the forgiveness of sins. It's not just a home in heaven. It is help in this life. That is part of our salvation in us being the sons and daughters of God. Can I get a good amen this morning? Let's dive right in, get our first question here. Romans chapter 8, verse 31, first portion of the verse. Read the question with me. What then shall we say to these things? Well, let's put this in context. What things are you even talking about? And we just go back in context and we find this, Romans 8, 28, that says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So let me just boil it down. Do you love God? Are you called according to his purpose? Let me boil that down. Are you his kid? Are you his children? Then God works all things. Not all things are good, but God can work good out of all things. All things for you. So then he says, what then shall we say to that? What's your response to that? What is your response to God telling you, I've got you. I will help you with this. I will, I will give you the wisdom. I'll give you the strength. I'll give you the favor. I'll give you the protection. What do you say to that? Amen. Alicia, when she first started driving, she had a red Ford Pinto. <laughs> How many of you know they don't make those anymore? How many of you know there's a good reason they don't make those anymore? Part of it, it's just not that good looking of a car. But she made it good looking. But she was driving her red Pinto um, as a teenager. She was in Tampa where she lived and grew up. And she's driving interstate, busy, downtown Tampa, rush hour, tire blows. She didn't know how to change a tire. She didn't know what to do. And guess what? Back then, I mean, she's, she looks younger than me. But even back then, they didn't have cell phones yet. And so she just leaned over on her steering wheel, just started crying. I don't, I don't even know what to do. I don't even know what to do. All of a sudden, she heard a voice behind her. Are you in trouble? Do you need help? And it was the road ranger from Bill Curry Ford in, in Tampa. Pulled up right behind her. I got out and helped her out. Put a brand new tire on there. Took care of her. Made sure everything was okay. Do you need anything else? And she said, no, I'm good. What do I owe you? Nothing. We do this to help you. What then shall we say to these things? You know, sometimes you just don't even have words. Sometimes it's hallelujah. Sometimes it's thank you. Thank you. And did you know sometimes it's just this? Did you know that literally, technically, in the Hebrew... One of the ways to praise and thank God is just to lift your hands. Did you know that that is also one of the best ways to say, help me? But if you ask God to help you, you believe he will help you. So it is help me and it is thank you at the same time. So what shall we say to this that God's got you? Listen, I don't know what you're going through right now, but I want you to know something. God's got you. He's going to work all of this out. He's going to work it all out. What do we say to that? Now, why did Paul ask us that question? Because he wants you to think a little bit. Because you're thinking too much about your problem. 
You're, you're thinking about too much about this and that, and he's wanting to get you back thinking about this. What do we say to these things? Just look at what he's already done for you. Amen. Second question, Romans 8, 31, the B portion of the verse. Come on, read it with me. If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, it's not saying no one would be against you because how many of you know that ain't so? But it's whoever's against you will not prevail against you. They won't prevail. Now, let's get out of the they part and get that real clear. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. You're not fighting against people. People get caught up in the sway and the flow of everything else. But ultimately, you have a spiritual enemy. Come on, y'all. I know we're all sophisticated and educated and everything else, but you better realize you have a spiritual enemy. And he will leverage everything and anything. He will leverage any and every situation to steal, kill, to destroy, to discourage you. To cause you to doubt, to cause you to worry, to cause you to be sad and to be discouraged. He's going to leverage everything he can in that way. And what God is saying, he, he, Paul reveals over in Ephesians. He said, Ephesians chapter 6, he says there's a hierarchy of evil that's against you. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness in high places. We sang about it this morning. The name of Jesus is above all thrones and dominions, all powers and positions. The name of Jesus is above every name. In 1 Peter chapter 5, it actually says this, that your adversary, that means he's against you. Antidikos in the Greek, he's against you in every way. The adversary, the devil, roams about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And you need, you need to start standing up and say, you may not devour me. But you have this enemy. You have this enemy. And ultimately what Paul is saying, because God is on your side, because God is for you. If God is for you, then the enemy will not prevail against you. Now, he might do some stuff, but ultimately he is not going to prevail against you. Amen. Amen. Not only is God for us, God is also with us in the struggle to give you the strength, to give you the wisdom, to give you the comfort, to give you the peace, to get you all the way through. Why did he ask this question? Because he wants you to think. He wants you to remember, God's for me. Come on, everybody say, God is for me. And so if God is for you, and several translations bring this out one way or another, if God is for you, what difference does it make who's against you? Because ultimately they will not prevail, and you need to think, and you need to be reminded of this and be secure in the fact God is for me. Say it again, God is for me. Romans chapter 8, verse 32, another question, long question. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? God delivered up his own son for us. That's the supreme sacrifice. That's the greatest price that could be paid. God gave his son. Now, he didn't let Abraham give up his son. He spared Abraham's son. Do you remember that? And he told Abraham, he said, I want you to go to offer up your son, your only son, Isaac. Go offer him up. And Abraham said, all right, I'll do it. And Abraham went knowing Abraham had a promise from God that he would be the father of many nations. And he said, well, that ain't going to happen. Excuse my ain't. That ain't going to happen if I slay my son that you've asked me to do. The book of Hebrews reveals that Abraham knew and believed 
that even if God had him sacrifice his son, God would raise him up again because he knew the power of, of God's promises. But you know what, Jesus, what, what God did? He, he provided a substitute, and he said, don't, don't. I just want to make sure that you were willing to do that. And then God, though, was willing to go all the way and give his son, also knowing that if, if his son died on our behalf, his son would be raised again. So if God willingly, freely gave his own son, is there anything else that he wouldn't also freely and gladly give to you? Now, D.L. Moody, some of you might know who D.L. Moody was. Long time ago, wonderful evangelist, powerful part of the uh, whole church history. Here's a story, and I'm just going to read it. Based on this verse, D.L. Moody said this. Suppose I go into the finest jewelry store in the land, and they bring out the loveliest, biggest diamond, and the owner says, it's yours. And I say, you don't mean that you're giving me this valuable diamond. And he said, yes, I'm giving it to you. Now, here's a question. If he gave it to me, do you think I would hesitate asking him for a piece of paper, some cotton, or a little box to wrap it up in and to take it home? You see, if God, if, if the diamond, if the jeweler gave the big diamond, do you think it would be too much to ask, could I, could I have a little box to take this into? Are you, are, are you all hearing what I'm saying here? And so if God gave his only son, if he did all of that for us, don't you think that he'll also give us, now get this, he will give us everything that you need, everything that is necessary, get this, that is necessary for this life and the life beyond. See, some people take that wrong. Oh, he's going to give me everything I want. And I want this, and I want to have that, and I want to go there, and I want to meet them. And that's not what he's talking about. He said, I'm with you and I'll get you through. God will bless you. How many of you know God will bless you? How, how, many of you know, how many of you know you are really, really blessed? We don't have to look very far. We don't have to travel very far to see you. Are, you y'all are super blessed. But our attitude toward God is, you know, if he gave his only son, then whatever I'm going through, whatever I would need, actually need in this life, he'll freely give that to us. Why did he ask that question? Why did Paul ask that question? Because he wants you to think. He wants you to think and get out of that insecurity that somehow, oh, this, I, I won't have what I need. This is not going to work out. And he wants to get that angst out of us. Let him punch it out of us a little bit to just really think and realize, hey, if God did that, God will take care of this. Amen? Amen? Yeah. All right. Romans chapter 8, verse 33 and 34. Here's a couple of questions. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Verse 34, who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Now let's break that down just a little bit. First of all, who will bring a charge against God's people? Who's going to bring a charge against God's people? Uh, I told you about your spiritual enemy earlier. Satan is the accuser of God's people. Okay? And what he does, he wants to trick you, tempt you, trap you, lead you astray, entice you, whatever. And then once you follow along, aha! You know, because he wants you to sin. He, he's, he's the one 
who wants to lead you astray. And then once you, anybody here ever done anything wrong? There were a few people in first service too, so don't, don't feel bad. All right. Well, guess what? We sin. We sin. So Satan, the accuser of God's people, guess what? Think of the courtroom now. Think of the big holy courtroom here. Most of his accusations are valid. The charges that he would bring are valid because of our sinfulness, because of our brokenness. But the charges get thrown out of court because God is the judge. And it says, who, is, who shall bring a charge against God's people? It's God who justifies. Now that takes all that we've talked about in Romans up to this point. It's God who justifies. It's God who declares the accused person to be righteous. It's God who, who declares the accused person to be justified. Do you remember our simple definition of justified? It's just as if I'd never sinned. And so who's going to bring a charge against God's people, his children? Well, the accuser, the brethren. Is it a real charge? Absolutely. Is it valid? Absolutely. But guess what? It's going to get tossed out of court. Because God the judge is the one, he's the one who justifies us. Romans 5.1. Let's back up to their New Living Translation. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. The second question was this. Who can condemn? Who can condemn us? And it goes on to say this, no one, no one, because Jesus has removed the condemnation. Do you remember we saw last week, Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now, oh, come on a little bit, there is therefore now what? No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus has removed the condemnation through his fourfold work that's in verse 34. It said, it is Christ who died for our sins, furthermore, has risen for our justification, who is even at the right hand of the Father. Where's Jesus right now? At the right hand of the Father, who also makes intercession for us. So Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, alive. He is victorious. He's active. And he's interceding for us. Now, I did a, a, an interment the other day, graveside, um, for a wonderful man. And while we were at the graveside, they played the song, uh, the only scars in heaven. And it hit me because I've heard it and I've heard it and I've heard it, but it just really hit me that the only scars in heaven are on the hands that hold you now. And that Jesus, even in his glorified body after the resurrection, he showed Thomas. See, we'll be in a glorified body, no scars, everything will be, woo. But those scars are there, and those scars are still there in the glorified body of Jesus. That's a forever mark. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's interceding. Now let's look at that. He's interceding on your behalf. If you're his child, if you're a child of God, he's interceding on your behalf, which means he's pleading on your behalf. He's intervening on your behalf. He's representing you before the Father. And you know what the Father's going to see constantly? I talk with my hands. I think Jesus does too. And the Father sees that and is reminded, we did all of this for them. Yes. And yeah, they did that, but I did that because of that. And he's interceding. And did you know that part of the definition of intercession is this? You ready? Pray. Yes. 
So technically, by definition, put it on the screen for me. Jesus prays for you. Jesus prays for you. Do you pray for you? Do you pray for you? Now I know why some of y'all look so sad. You need to pray for you. Man, I've been praying for me. And even when you don't pray for you or you don't know how to pray for you, guess what? Jesus prays for you. We saw last weekend the Holy Spirit helps you to pray when you don't know how to pray. When you've just got that empty fumes of just pain and whatever, he puts that all together and, and, and does a perfect prayer to the Lord. Jesus prays for you. Isn't it encouraging when somebody tells you, hey, I'm praying for you? Well, it is to me. I mean, that is life to me when somebody says, hey, I am praying for you. I've been praying for you. You need to know this. Jesus always, he ever lives to intercede for you. Jesus is praying for you at the right hand of the Father. So he asked the question, who can condemn? Are you kidding me? No one can condemn you because Jesus has removed all condemnation, dying for your sins on the cross, rising again for your justification, seated and glorified at the right hand of the Father, and he ever lives to intercede for you. Amen. 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 Got another one in you? You're going to love this one. Romans 8, verse 35. Who, and literally what, shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, these are questions, y'all, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? You know what he just listed by category? Everything imaginable. And the order in which he put it is just increasing in its intensity. I mean, look at this. It's, it's trouble. It's pressure. It's hardship. It's opposition, it's lack, it's being vulnerable, it's danger, it's pain, it's even death. It's all those things. In Romans 8, 37, he says, no. What shall separate us from the love of God? Verse 37, no. In all these things, we are, come on, more than conquerors through him who loved us. Why did he ask the question? Because he wants you to know, no, you're not weak and worn out and unable to handle this. You're more than a conqueror. I'm, I'm not going to cause this to prevail over you. I'm going to cause you to prevail over it. You're going to be more than a conqueror through, through Christ who loves us. Not only are we not separated from his love, but we are able to overcome because of what that love brings to us and for us. Let's read on Romans 8, 38. And 39. And Paul says, I am convinced. Come on, say it. I am convinced. All right, just bookmark just for a minute. I am convinced. I am convinced. You know, one of our problems today, one of your problems today, one of our nation's problems today is we're not convinced of things. We're so wishy-washy, mamby-pamby, back and forth. You go, you know, this is my favorite color. And then your friend says, I really like purple. And you go, I really like purple now. We, We just don't even know what we think. And there's so much on the news and so much political pressure and there's so much social bullying. What? You believe that. You don't believe that. You don't think that. And if you do, we're going to come to your house. You know, and you just need to decide. You need to get convinced, especially in your spiritual life. You just need to get settled. I am persuaded. I am convinced. You need to have conviction about some things. And just wrestle this down. And Paul goes through all of this and he says, I am convinced. Come on, say it again. I am convinced. 
He said, and I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Watch this. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing. Come on, everybody say nothing. Nothing Nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. I've read this I don't know how many times. I read this over and over over the last few weeks in different translations, and I'm just struck by this. I wrote this down. He's showing us the extremes, the extremes of existence, the extremes of spiritual battle, the extremes of time, the the extremes of space, the extremes of what is concrete and real, the extremes of what is abstract, the extremes of anything else you could think of or ever encounter. And here's the worst thing possible. Listen to me on this. This is the worst thing possible. This is the greatest thing to fear. You ready? To be separated from the love of God. That's the worst. That is, can I say it? That's hell. Literally, that is hell. To be separated. And, And I'm not even just talking about eventual hell. I'm talking about hell on earth, hell in your life. Is when you think... You're separated. When you fear, you're separated from the love of God. Because every all the other good that God does for you is because of his love. And to think that anything could separate you from the love of God. And Paul said, no, I'm convinced. Everybody say it again, I'm convinced. I'm, co- I'm convinced that nothing, nothing, all the extremes of everything, there's nothing that could separate me from the love of God. That is the greatest fear. That is the biggest danger is to be separated from the love of God. And it's not going to happen. Listen, God loves you because he loves you. That was his choice. His love is not based on something in you or about you or around you that may or may not change. God loves you because he loves you. Paul drives home these questions so that you could get this settled So that you could just realize there's nothing that can separate me from the love of God. I can can have a spiritual enemy and God will cause me to overcome. I can have problems galore and then another stack and another stack of problems on top of that. And God will get me through that. And if God is for me, what difference does it make who's against me? Because nothing, nothing can separate me from the love of God. And it's out of the love of God. This is what Paul wanted us to know. It's out of the love of God. See, you and I have got to be clear of all this, of our insecurity, of our disbelief, our unbelief, that God could actually be that loving, that gracious, and that kind. And here's the reality. He really, really is. So we enter chapter 8 with no condemnation. We end chapter 8 with no separation. And in between... All things work together for good. Amen. Amen. Did y'all get anything at all out of this today? Thank you, Lord.